Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. All right, so we talked about the first attribute of the hypocrites listed here in uh, ayahs 8 through 16, and that was lying. And we spoke about why do people lie? We also had the side conversation, is lying shirk or not? And I said that, no, it is a sin, but it's easy to, to mislabel uh, a sin as shirk, but only Allah has the authority to dictate what is tawheed, which means only Allah has the authority to dictate what is shirk. Tawheed being the oneness of God, shirk being partnering anything with God. And then that is delivered to us by the prophet, peace be upon him. So now we're going to get to the second attribute and today we'll probably even make it to the third. Uh, this one is a little bit more uh, 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 subtle, but let's look at the ayah inshallah. All right, can everyone see the Quran on the screen? Let me know. Yeah, okay, good. So ayahs 11 through 12. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ لَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ قَالُوا إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ مُصْلِحُونَ وَإِذَا and when قِيلَ لَهُمْ it is said to them لَا تُفْسِدُوا don't do fasad don't spread corruption فِي الْأَرْضِ in the world don't spread corruption in the world قَالُوا they say إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ مُصْلِحُونَ indeed 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 we are just reformers we're just peacemakers we're just fixing things and then ayah 12 says Allah so Allah is sort of like no indeed 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 they they look at all this emphasis inna is triple emphasis and then you have home and then you have home again inna although you need the home for the uh, they are the ones who are corrupting walakin and but la yash'urun, and they don't realize it. Notice la yash'urun, we've already had in ayah 9 that uh, they're fooling only themselves, but they don't realize it. So some of the points we're going to look at uh, first is just what are these individual attributes? And then second, what are the common elements of all of these attributes? So here, when it is said to them, do not make corruption, do not make mischief in the world, they say we are just peacemakers, we are reformers. No, they are actually the mischief makers, but they don't realize it. So, so I the hypocrites. Oops. We have hypocrites. And then one attribute, which is Ayahs 8 through 10, is lying. And then 11 through 12, they're deflecting criticism. They are told, don't make mischief in the, in the world. They're being given criticism. And they say, no, we're actually fixing things. We're actually improving things. We are reforming things. So they're not taking, they're not considering the criticism that is being given to them. Now think about the feeling of criticism. Like when someone is giving you criticism, it sometimes feels like a sting, 
you know, who is this person to, to, to criticize me? Do they even know what's going on? You know, who is this person, right? So with each of these attributes, we also have implied what is the, uh, the positive that we should do. So we should not lie, we should tell the truth. So here, let me make it the, ch the chart easier. We should then hypocrites do the Okay. So hypocrites lie, so we know we should not do that. We should tell the truth. So what should our approach be then compared to this? If the bad trait of the hypocrite is deflecting criticism, what would be the proper trait to do? Anyone? Yeah, to consider Not it. deflecting it. So not deflecting it, yeah. Which means what? Accepting, that whenever... Accepting. I'm sorry? Uh, accepting the criticism or accepting whatever is being said? So I would say uh, uh, considering it, because you still might determine that you disagree with the criticism. No, yeah. Fair enough. So anytime someone gives you criticism, you should consider it. And so, you know, we have the, the famous narration, I'll give you just uh, the high points of Abu Hanifa. He's walking uh, in the masjid in one version of the story and there's somebody asleep on the ground who, who is drunk and Abu Hanifa trips over him and then this man criticizes uh, Abu Hanifa and then Abu Hanifa starts crying saying, wait a second, what if it's Allah Ta'ala giving me a hint here, you know, about me not walking where I'm watch watching where I'm walking. And there's different versions, but the point I'm making here for our purposes is that no matter where you're getting the criticism from, consider it. Maybe you might give it one second of consideration. Maybe you might give it a day of consideration depending upon the issue and the person. But it could be that that criticism is beneficial for you. So meaning consider criticism as constructive. You are not obligated to agree with it but you should consider it. Why? I mean, it's obvious, you know, why we should tell the truth. Why should we consider criticism? Any criticism that comes to us. Because our, our goal, so yeah, so number one, just like you're saying, Asha, it could be constructive. It could actually even be intended to be constructive, you know. And then, yes, exactly, Hanya, it's to grow. That if our goal is to get closer and closer to Allah, then what does that mean? We're trying to be better and better as Muslims, as people, et cetera, et cetera. So any criticism should be welcomed. Right? And again, uh, and so then I received a, a note, I think considering criticism also implies humility. Absolutely. Uh, and let me come back to this point about humility uh, in a moment, if I remember, um, to when we talk about what does humility itself mean. But 
the idea is that if my goal is to get closer to Allah, then my friend is the one who's criticizing me. And in fact, there's this old Arab proverb that I can't even say in the Arabic anymore, but uh, is that your friend is not someone, or your friend is someone who speaks the truth to you. Someone who agrees with you on everything is not your friend. Somebody explain this. This is, so this is not Quran Hadith. We would call this a hikmah at best, uh, a wisdom saying. Your friend is someone who speaks the truth to you. Someone who agrees with you on everything is not your friend. Anyone? Go for it. Try. So it will allow you to, to first of all, to speak truth and, uh, and, uh, and not agreeing with everything with, with your friend means that uh, you are uh, you are truthful to him actually mm -hmm. right uh, and uh, and and you want better for him yes that's the key part here that if it's if you if this is truly your friend then you're caring about their well-being and you want them to be even in a better situation and so, yeah, Jewel, like they'll care about your akhirah, they'll care about your blind spots of things you may not be paying attention to, and they'll call you out. And so that is what friendship is. What happens too often is people say, okay, I'll support you in whatever you do, you know, anything you do, even if they're putting themselves in danger. And so, so the point is that that's what friendship is. And in our era, it seems as though everyone's gotten super sensitive about everything that no one wants to hear criticism from anybody. And this is part of the, a part of, you know, one of the most basic aspects of human relationships, right? The point that I keep repeating is all about relationships. And so where should, would you especially be getting criticism from? It's going to be from your closest relations. And so we spoke yesterday about different in, uh, uh, influences that a person has. And one uh, major source of, of influence will be your inner circle. And that will, in theory, be where you get the most criticism from. Like your parents, like your siblings, your partner, significant other, your children, your friends. That's where you're going to get your most criticism from. And, and so let's say criticism considered done with friendship. <laughs> yeah, okay, so yeah, you criticize me, I kill your family, Buddha family, Anyway, so, so the point here is, is that the hypocrite, however, does the opposite. The hypocrite doesn't even reject the criticism, they don't even acknowledge it, they deflect it. Why would a hypocrite deflect criticism? So we spoke about why someone lies. Why would someone deflect criticism? And forget it if we're talking about hypocrites or not. Why would someone deflect when criticism is given to them? So essentially, yeah, Leith, it's a type of insecurity. And, and Wasim, think of arrogance as a way to hide insecurity. And so just as the class was beginning, we were talking about Shaitan and and Shaitan, what is his story? He is saying, you created me from fire. You created him from, from clay. I'm never going to do such that. I'm never going to prostrate. But what is he doing? His real issue is he's jealous of man. Why did Allah pick Adam to be the Khalifa? I should have been the Khalifa. 
And so he feels jealous. That's an insecurity. He hides behind arrogance. It's a sort of weakness too, right? You have your inner is weak, maybe inner strength. Sort mm -hmm. of yeah. And so, yeah, Shahir, they can't be wrong. And so what is happening when you're being given criticism? It's a type of a feeling of exposure. You're being exposed or someone is exposing you to yourself. And this is what hypocrites don't want to see. They don't want to see themselves. Okay, so, so this is the second attribute listed of the people of hypocrisy. Let's go to the third attribute of people of hypocrisy. So let me go back to the Quran screen. Once again, nod, let me know you can see the Quran on the screen. Yes, okay, good. So I have 13. Uh, when it is said to them, believe as the others believe, they say, should we be believe as the fools believe? But they're the fools and they don't know it. So when it is said to them, so it's that over and over again, believe, believe as the rest of the people believe, they say, should we believe as the fools believe? No, they're the fools, they don't see it. So how would you do, do, describe this personality? So forget the first two. Forget we're talking about hypocrites. But when someone's being told, believe as the people believe, they say, shall we believe as the fools believe? What type of personality type or attitude are we describing here? As I write this, it's two things that are uh, actually the same point. It's arrogance, right? Shall we believe as the fools believe? And it is devaluing the community. So yeah, Jewel, it would be it would be a prejudice against your own community. And uh, Shell is saying, it's important that we don't take this as a license to criticize others. Yeah, that is, that is a, a good, a good uh, correction. That this doesn't give me free reign to start criticizing everyone. Yeah, I'm giving you criticism as a, as a, a, a hypocrite. You're not gonna want to accept it. That sounds literally like something a big brother would do to a little sister. Um, Speaking as a big brother with two little sisters. Anyway, okay, so back to this. So when they're said told to believe as the people believe, they say, shall we believe as the fools believe? And so they are arrogant. They see the fool, the, the community as a bunch of fools. So then what would be the proper trait to have? So obviously, not be arrogant. We should not be arrogant. So we'll talk about arrogance here more in just a second. What about the community? What should be the attitude we have with the community? Which is something we've already spoken about multiple times when we're going through Al-Fatiha. So humble and essentially you should value the community. And this, for many people, is actually a very hard point. 
And you want to see the community as part of your roots. You want to value the community. And I made the point before that whatever you want to see in the community is there. So if you want to see the community as a bunch of rude people who are obnoxious, yeah, we have those examples. If you want to see the community as a bunch of corrupt people who, who break the law and take advantage of people, yeah, we have those. If you want to see the community as people who are modest, who are upright, who are trying to get through life uh, in an upright way, we have many examples of those people, right? And sometimes we might identify the community according to the loud people, not seeing all the silent people. But most of all, we often identify the community according to weaknesses in our own hearts. That what I see in the community is a projection of what's taking place inside of me. And so what you want to do is try to override your negative sweeping opinions of the community and value it as a body of people that you love. Would we extend community to everyone, neighbor, society, or limited to community of believers? In this context, we're specifically talking about the community of believers, but yes, this should be our attitude towards the world in general, especially our neighbors, right? Regardless of, of whatever the belief system is of our neighbors. And even in terms of our obligations to neighbors, uh, I think, I don't remember if I gave this example here. Suppose your house is on fire and your next door neighbors on both sides are non-Muslims and then more non-Muslims, more non-Muslims, and then you have Muslims after that. Are you gonna go run and tell the Muslims to keep their house uh, safe? No, obviously you gotta talk to the people next to you. And, and so we have a huge amount of obligations to neighbors uh, that are kind of lost in a lot of our, our contemporary discussions. But again, I bring this back to the point that we're focusing on halal haram rather than relationships. Okay. So, so here, the goal is not to be arrogant, to value the community. So let's talk a little bit about arrogance. So in the story of Chaitan, which is in Ayahs 30-39, we have Chaitan's refusal to, to prostrate. And so then he hides behind arrogance. Okay, let's go to uh, Surah 2. Same surah that we're in, and it's around 80, ayah 83. This will give us a taste of, of how arrogance operates. And so you all can see the, uh, the Quran on your screen, yes? Yeah, hopefully the people on. Give me one moment, I'll find it here in just a second. Oops, sorry. Okay, I'll have to find the exact idea, but it's literally around here somewhere. Basically saying that whenever you come across something that you do not like, some of you hide behind arrogance 
some of you accuse messenger of lying and then some of you resort to violence. Here it is. Okay, I87, I'm sorry. So we gave Moses the kitab, the scripture, and we sent messengers after him in succession. And then we gave Jesus, son of Mary, peace be upon them all, clear signs and strengthened him with the Holy Spirit. How does he translate? Well, anyway. So how is it that whenever a messenger brings you something you do not like, we see three levels of responses here. One, you become arrogant. Astakbartum. Two, if that is not enough, you accuse the messengers of lying. Three, if that is not enough, you kill some of the messengers. And so let me write this back on the whiteboard, that when we are faced with something when we face a truth we do not want to face. We may, one, hide behind arrogance. This is what Shaitan does. I'm never gonna do prostration. I'm never gonna do such though. You created me from fire. You created him from clay. So keep in mind the point that I'm making, that Shaitan's downfall was not because of his arrogance. That was the second step in his downfall. Or you can even say the third step. The first step of his downfall is that he was jealous of Adam. Please be upon him. And then the second step of his downfall is that he's refusing to prostrate. And when Allah asks him, why didn't you prostrate? Shaitan could have said, well, the command is for angels. You told the angels to prostrate. I'm not an angel. I'm a jinn. But what does he say? Step number three, the problem. I'm never going to prostrate. You created him from fire, or you created me from fire. You created him from clay. I'm better than him. He's beneath me. Once someone hides behind arrogance, it is very hard to get out of it. Or racist, maybe. Yeah, this is more like a speciesist because there are different species of creation. So, but. If arrogance is still not enough for you to feel safe from the truth, then what was the next part? You accuse the messengers of lying. And so you then now pointing the finger back. If you are in that state, it is even harder to get out of it. So I'm saying once you hide behind arrogance, it's very hard to get out of arrogance. One of the treatments of dealing with someone who's arrogant is that you have to be equally forceful in terms of personality, meaning being soft to that person often doesn't work, but you should still start with softness because that's you know what Moses, and Pharaoh, Moses was told to do with Pharaoh, that you start with gentleness. But then think of how the Prophet peace upon him spoke to Abu Lahab. Right? That was very a very fierce surah. 
And then if that is not enough for you to feel safe from the truth, then you may resort to violence. Now, if you look at these three, I've literally summed up the 13 years of the Quraysh against the Prophet, peace be upon him. At first, they mocked him. And, or at first, you can say, even say they ignored him. The Prophet, peace be upon him, invites the leaders of the Quraysh over for dinner. And, and he says, no one among the Arabs has ever come with a message as noble as mine. Kuhl embraces this. And Ali embraces this. And all the rest of the, the leaders of the Quraysh, they start laughing and they leave. Right? And they ignore him, thinking he's going through a phase. But then, when that is not enough, then they start uh, insulting him. They start resorting to character assassination. Right? You made this up. You know, he's uh, he's a poet. He's he's doing witchcraft on all of us. He's a soothsayer. When that was not enough, then they started torturing his followers. So this is literally, these three points are a summary of the evolution of the first 13 years, or you can even say look, basically the first 20 years, those 20 years out of 23 of the prophet against the Quraysh until finally you have Hudaybiyah, the conquest of Mecca, and then everybody, all those people who fought him, almost all of them become Muslim. So, so the point is that this is the nature of, of arrogance, that once you really start thinking that you're better than the community, it is hard to get out of that. And it may be that Allah will humble you, or it may be that somebody else will humble you, but you're the one who is suffering for your own arrogance. So. Now, a side point then, what is humility? How would any of you uh, define, what does it mean to be humble? At least in terms of in our society, what does it mean to be humble? So let's say, for example, if Michael Jordan says, I am the greatest basketball player of all time, is he being arrogant? Yeah, Asha's saying no. Yeah, Asha, what if LeBron says it? Oh, you're in Ohio. <laughs> so definitely not, except maybe for 2015. All right. Uh, any uh, uh, so what is what does it mean to be humble? That you are not arrogant. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. But I'm asking <laughs> without using arrogant. What does it mean? So uh, they have stats to back up some of the ups. So I guess there is some truth to it. So I don't see it as arrogant. Okay. Fair enough. Well, correctly attribute blessings. That would be humility. Yeah, that would be humility. Understanding that you aren't better than anyone else. Okay, but what if, so this is a message sent to me directly. So, so my favorite example of this is a scholar from the 1700s who names himself, and many of you have heard of him, this is the title, one title that he has given himself. Another title that he's given himself. So Shah Waliullah has named himself Shah Waliullah. Anyone want to translate what Shah Waliullah means? So, uh, so you're the Sardar of 
all the valleys the leader of valleys so yeah so he's the king of all the saints he's the king of the friends of god ji yeah so so my mother agrees so so the the bacha of all the valleys so he is the king of all of the friends of allah what is qutub zaman he is the pillar of the whole you you know zamana or his time the whole the whole era yeah, yeah. so in term and this is this is like intermediate uh, advanced stuff there's this idea that the entirety of the iman of the human race rests on a number of people and their iman rests on a number of people and their iman rests on one person that is the qutub it's a, it's a fun thought, thought to think about and but i mean it's also easy to misunderstand and so he is saying he is the qutub of his era yeah. <laughs> that the entirety of the iman of the human race rests on him and he is also the king of the friends of god now similarly there have been others in the past who have claimed to be the mujaddid the revivalists of their era so anyone what do you think this person shawaliullah desi guy dies 1762 he makes these claims is this arrogant is this humble what do you think now what i should add is that in the past 400 years he is perhaps the sing- far and away the single most influential scholar of all of islam so it's kind of like saying that uh he so so one student said nope still arrogant and but this is the this is the need of his time uh-huh. he has to stand up and claim that to address the people who was actually deviating from the deen on his time mm-hmm. that he is also speaking yes in a particular time and place you have modernity that's taking over the world you have colonization which is taking over the world and then people are getting enchanted by the west and such and so humility in our paradigm is not related to the claim humility is if you require people to treat you according to your status or uh, if you don't require people to treat you according to your status so a king is humble if the king doesn't require you to treat them like a king you know with all the respect that you have to give to a king and so so to the, the person who uh, in Indianapolis who is sending me arrogant still arrogant yeah he's arrogant um yeah this would be this it's possible for this to be an accurate objective assessment yeah. but it becomes humble if he's not requiring you to treat him of that status that's what humility is and so yeah shall you correct only Allah can determine if he's if he's then uh arrogant meaning there have also been many people in history who claim to be the mahdi you know the the guided one the savior of of the the ummah and have come and gone which means that their claims were false and there are other people who claim to be even bigger things like prophets and they've come and gone and their claims have been false and so yeah if someone's making these grand claims more likely statistically we probably assume that they're wrong but it is possible for someone to make these huge claims and still be 100% humble yeah. okay it is like yusuf alayhi salam claiming to be the alim and amin yeah that would be another example 
So humility, again, is what? That you are not requiring people to treat you according to your status. It doesn't mean it's arrogant if you're requiring them. It is humility if you're not requiring them. Uh, uh, Iqbal, I'm not understanding your question. What is that Shah revive? What is the Shah Waliullah revive? Sorry. So Shah Waliullah is uh, meaning what is the meaning or? No, no. What what was the uh, fitna in his time? And he revived the... Oh, so this is the 1700s and he's in India. And so we have colonialism that's taking place. We have modernity that's taking over the world. And so, so he does a complete reconstruction of Islam. Mm -hmm. And one place where that's found is in this big book called Hujjat al-Baligha. So uh, that's sort of like a literally a repackaging of Islam. Same thing that Ghazali did uh, 800 years before him or 700 years before him. Then he also does a translation of the Quran into Farsi. That's the first translation by a Muslim for Muslims. And people criticize him saying, how can you translate the Quran? People are not going to connect to Arabic anymore. And his response is that, look what's happening in the world. If we don't translate the Quran, then we're going to lose people even more. And he's the one who actually stand up against the Dina Ilahi, which is the Akbari. Ak uh, probably, but that's about a 200 year difference though. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if he did, it would have been later, but I'm not as familiar with that. That was Sheikh Sarandi. Yeah, actually, I think yeah, that's yeah, you're right, you're right. That's yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm mixing yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. You're right well. uh, Tala, you have a question. So um, sometimes, like in modern times, um, doctors, for instance, expect their patients to address them by doctor so-and-so rather than their first name. Mm -hmm. So is that um, arrogance or is that, I mean, I see that kind of as preserving the, the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So like teachers, for instance, we have, you know, at school, my kids, have to call that their teacher by their last name. It's a sign of respect. Yeah. And it's what the teacher expects as well. And so that's kind of, you know, you're expected to treat them as a teacher. And yeah. so I don't think that they're not being humble. They're just preserving the, I don't know, I don't, sanctity is not the right word, but you know, yeah. the, the goodness of the relationship, right? Yeah, uh, I would agree with that completely. I mean, it comes down to, you know, where is their arrow pointing? If they're saying you have to call me doctor or professor such and such because that's what I want to hear for myself, that's one thing. If, however, that's the proper manners of the setting, that's a different situation. Or if it's a teacher telling the student, okay, this is how you do, you know, as, as a learning experience, then that's also something very different too. Right. For instance, like doctors, when they're not in that situation, you know, not in that patient doctor relationship, you know, in the community, they insist on being called doctor, right? Like yeah. that would be not being humble, I think. I think, I think on that note, yeah. I think from this point forward here, let me, let me give you a new term that you, all of you could start telling me by. So from this point forward, maybe all of you should start giving me my real title. No, I'm kidding, kidding, kidding. Okay. Any other questions about anything else? So uh, key points from, from today's discussion, well, actually, wait, Amina is saying there's actually a lot of research lately about how the patient-doctor binary is potentially harmful. Interesting. Uh, do you want to share anything more about that? And it's fine. No. So, Can I say so yeah, go for it. So I thought that humility is the recognition of a person that whatever honor or title they have achieved is not their own or they don't own it. It is a blessing from 
uh, someplace else. Mm-hmm. Being from Allah Ta'ala. Yes, and that the source of all good and everything is Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Mm-hmm. And as far as we recognize that, then probably we would be humble mm-hmm. in our overall, you know, demeanor and the way we present ourselves. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. That's It's sort of like giving the other side of the same coin, right? If I truly believe that whatever I am, whatever that's good of me is coming from Allah Ta'ala, then I'm perfectly fine with whatever you call me, right? Okay. If I feel insecure about that, then I'm especially going to want you to give me these, these wonderful titles. So I think it's, it's also, I think uh, uh, other than uh, the title itself, the way you present yourself is also very important. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would agree with that. Uh, related to to Shala's point about about the the scenario or the forum that we're in, uh, scholars are are taught that they actually have to dress better than everyone else. Why? What are some reasons? And in fact, literally, I'm being taught this in a class, and the teacher is looking straight at me because I was dressed like a bum that particular day. Uh, uh, so part of it is that they have to be the example, and part of it is they have to honor the knowledge that they're being given. And, and so, so this would then again be not to draw attention to themselves, but out of respect for what they've been given. So very good. Any other questions or thoughts about anything? Anything else? Okay, very good. Then inshallah, we will finish off the attributes of hypocrisy tomorrow. And in fact, our speed is, is, has been pretty good, pretty consistent. And we will probably make it uh, at least around I-29, give or take, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less by the time we finish Ramadan. Uh, Shala. Um, would you please um, send by email the link to these um, videos or I mean, just the content, whatever. Yeah, let me see if I can pull it up right now. Because right. I never, I haven't been writing it down whenever you've shown it in the past. So here it is here. And then I will also try to send it in uh, email as well. Yeah, that would be great. Last few days I've been, okay. Yeah, last few days I've been yeah. kind of slow to, to catch up, but I think I'm caught up as of uh, um, up to just before t- this evening's classes and so on. Late question. Uh, yeah, just a quick one. So, so I mean, are we saying, in effect, just to talk about humility one more time, that it kind of runs counter to this idea, I guess, in society that humility is this act of lowering yourself? Correct. Uh, that's, not, that's not our tradition. Right. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Like in our society, a common view of humility is that, you know, it's almost like a type of submission and almost a type mm-hmm. of self-flagellating. That's not mm-hmm. humility in our tradition. You know, humility, as was mentioned, is that you're giving credit to Allah Ta'ala. And then in terms of your interaction with people, you're not requiring them. You're not expecting them to treat you according to your status. And then Shala's correction is also important that maybe as a teaching uh, uh, process, you are still requiring a student to treat you in a particular way, or maybe because of the formality of the moment, like for example, the judge, you have to call your honor, you know, that's the, the formality or the protocols of the environment. So even you know, uh, the president, you're still gonna have to call Mr. President, not out of arrogance or humility, but that's the the proper uh, uh, 
language in our society. Uh, do you have a question? So it means uh, if you are being upright or straightforward, right? So that can be mistaken as uh, arrogance too. Maybe, maybe your temperament may be a little bit like off the scale sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so, that's, it's definitely possible. You know, I mean, I think people often even misread politeness as weakness. You know, that is true. Someone, someone being polite is not necessarily being weak. Politeness can be an act of strength. But yeah, anything else? Yeah, so um, why, why then the more we learn about the deen or why when we learn more about the religion, we start to become harder and harder and we try, we start to treat other people like they mean nothing. Yeah, this is the, uh, so this is sort of the, the pitfall that Shaitan fell into because a way to think about Shaitan is that Shaitan was a scholar, right? I mean, if there's anyone who at least understands the text of the deen, it would be Shaitan because he knows how to take us all down or he knows the, he knows the, the tricks to try to take us all down. But uh, knowledge becomes something just like money in the sense that sometimes when someone gets more and more money, they start getting more and more arrogant. And so the acquisition of knowledge can have the same consequence that the more knowledge you get, just like someone getting more money, they start getting more arrogant. And the destruction that you can cause by being arrogant with money is one type of destruction. The destruction you can cause by being arrogant with knowledge is a different type of destruction. Yeah, and your the same name as Omar, Omar Baloch used to say that, you know, the more knowledge will generate the more ignorance mm -hmm. sometime. And he used example that, you know, like, um, you know, normally people pray Sunnah and now Afil after the namaz. But if they're, if they're like, you know, the Taravi happening downstairs and, you know, they said, okay, we can just do the Quran thus and we don't have to go for that area. So mm -hmm. they can use that kind of like a fifth knowledge and, and use against the deen itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is again the the analogy of the donkey versus the the racehorse. You know, the donkey carrying books is acquiring all kinds of knowledge, but doesn't change anything about themselves. Meaning, as you gain more Islamic knowledge, the result should be you have more consciousness, more hope, more fear in Allah. Meaning, your behavior, your attitude should change as a result of getting more knowledge. Any other questions, thoughts, uh, reflections? Not the question, but just a reminder. I don't remember, but Khuram, you posted something on the group to remind Omar about something. Uh, no, that is done. Uh, we oh. are caught up. Okay. That was about the Google Docs. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I was behind on that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's all right. I checked that. Uh, so it was back. Thanks. Any other questions? All righty. Then we will stop here, inshallah. And we'll continue tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashhadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashhadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashhadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell word you all, inshallah, and may Allah again reward uh, Musab for his profound performance of innocence in the previous hour, those of you who were there. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.